Who is your brother or sister in Christ? Is your brother or sister anyone who calls him or herself a Christian? That's clearly not the case, right? Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, and thus would call himself a Christian, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. And the Apostle Paul tells us in, in some of the angriest words he ever wrote at the beginning of the book of Galatians, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. Lip service to Jesus is not enough. Lip service to Jesus saves no one. Claiming to speak the gospel as those false teachers were doing in Galatia, is not enough. We could go on. Living a moral life is not enough. Having correct political opinions is not enough. Being generous with your possessions is not enough. Who is your brother or sister in Jesus? Well, we try to summarize the answer to that question with the questions we ask when we're baptizing someone. Most of you have witnessed a baptism here, right? We ask three questions. Do you acknowledge, do you recognize Jesus as your Savior, as your Redeemer, that is, the one who paid the penalty for your sins? Do you recognize Jesus as your Lord, as your master, as the one who has a right to tell you how to live your life, to tell you what is the way to peace? And then thirdly, do you recognize Jesus as your treasure, worth more than all the world has to offer? Savior, Lord, Treasure. Those are characteristics of those who are truly in Jesus, truly our brothers and sisters in Christ. Then there are more details in addition to those three questions that we try to summarize and condense into our statement of faith for members. It's brief, but then it speaks of the Trinity. It speaks of God's revelation. It speaks that Jesus is going to return. We have a much longer statement of faith in this church, which we call the statement of faith governing teaching. And members don't have to agree with all of it. They don't have to agree. They don't even have to understand all of it to become a member of this church. Elders have to agree to it in its entirety without reservation. And it's much, much longer. It must be five times, six times as long as the statement of faith for members. There are many important points 
in that statement of faith governing teaching that are not mentioned in the statement of faith for members. Thus, many important points that you do not have to hold and be a brother or sister in Christ Jesus, such as what actually happens in baptism? What actually happens when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, as we did last week? What does election mean in God's terms? Well, we elders are all convinced of those points in the Statement of Faith Governing Teaching. That is what we teach. And if you are a member, we tell you that statement is like a truth and labeling act, right? That this is what you're going to hear if you become part of this church. You don't have to understand, you don't have to agree with it all, but you do have to be willing to listen to it. Right? And see, consider, is this what the scripture actually teaches? Be like those faithful Bereans that Paul encountered who searched the scriptures daily to see if the things that Paul taught were true. But we gladly acknowledge that there are many genuine brothers and sisters in Christ who disagree with us on the details that are in the statement of faith governing teaching and are not in the statement of faith for members. So, Given that's the case, even in this room, we have some disagreements about some of those points. And if we just were to knock on doors of churches around this city, we would find lots and lots of differences with those who are genuine believers in Jesus. So how do we live within a local church when there are such disagreements And how do we live as the wider Church of Christ in a way that brings glory and honor to our Lord when we have disagreements about important issues? Well, we as elders thought it important to have a sermon to this effect. So although I have only eight psalms left of 150... And I'm not preaching all that often these days. We still delayed my preaching on the next psalm for a little while so that we could address this issue here. It was prompted because next week Jacob is preaching on a disputable issue, a controversial issue that we do not even address in our statement of faith governing teaching. Indeed, Jacob and I have a little bit of daylight between our positions on the issue of marriage and divorce. And 24 years ago, I preached, I was preaching through Mark in our church in Massachusetts. I preached on this passage. That sermon's on the internet. Everyone who's gone through premarital counseling with me has read that sermon of mine on marriage and divorce. And what Jacob's going to say next week is a little different than that. And so, given that, we thought it was a good idea to talk about this issue now of disagreements in church. What does it mean? Furthermore, it's 2023. Next year is 2024. 
presidential election year, we will have differences of opinion amongst ourselves on political issues. What do we do about that? We've had people leave this church because of differences on some current event issues, right? What's the right way to handle such disagreements? How do we approach one another and shine the light of Scripture onto these disagreements? Well, that's what we're trying to address this morning. Romans chapter 14, verse 1 through 15, verse 7, which we read, that passage addresses this issue in a marvelous way, a really marvelous way. But we often miss how relevant the passage is to our present disagreements because the specific disagreements that Paul is talking about are not ones that are relevant for us today. We don't worry about food that's been offered to idols, whether we should eat it or not, right? And we don't worry very much about observing one day versus another, But the general biblical ideas that are contained here are really, really important and vital for living together in harmony to the glory of God when we have some disagreements about disputable matters. In 2018, I was finishing the entire series on the book of Romans, and I actually preached three sermons on today's passage. Those are all available on the internet as audio. And my struggle in preparation of this sermon is I want to say everything, right, that I said in those three sermons in 2018, and there's no way I can do it. And so, much to my regret, I'm actually not even going to talk about a number of the verses in this marvelous passage of scripture. This is much briefer. This is an overview of what Paul is saying in this passage and then applying it to this question of disagreements within church. So we're going to look at this passage under four headings. First, we're going to step back and ask a bit more general question under the heading Rules, Law, and the Gospel. Rules, Law, and the Gospel. And then the second heading, Welcome one another as Jesus welcomed you. And then third heading, What is your role? And fourth, the result with one mind and one voice, glorify God. So rules, law, and the gospel welcome one another as Jesus accepted and welcomed you. What is your role? And then the result, with one mind and one voice, glorify God. So first of all, rules, law, and the gospel. It's important for us to underline a simple truth up front. No human other than Jesus 
ever kept the entirety of God's law. No one ever made himself or herself acceptable to God by obeying any set of rules, any law. Thirdly, no one ever grew as a Christian or kept himself or herself in the love of God by obeying rules or obeying a law. As we say on the front of our bulletin, under our gospel pursuit, we glorify God by treasuring Christ joyfully and prayerfully pursuing Christ's likeness in the love of the Father and the power of the Holy Spirit. We are pursuing Christ-likeness, and we do not pursue Christ-likeness by making a list of rules and then checking them off one by one. To be a Christian is to become like Jesus, and we can never do that by trying to live up to a set of rules. Jesus tells us, again in the Sermon on the Mount, you must be what, as your heavenly Father is? You must be perfect, as your Father in heaven is perfect. And we never become perfectly like Christ by succeeding in in checking off all the boxes. Now, we have to underline that God's law is precious. But it is precious not because it gives us a way to make ourselves right with God or a way to grow as believers. God's law is precious because it shows us what Christ-likeness means in a fallen world. What does it mean to be one of God's people in a fallen world? So you see the importance of God's law for today's topic. We must hold on to the gospel of salvation by grace alone through faith alone, not by trying to do any works And we must realize that the Christian life is not about figuring out what's the right thing to do, the moral thing to do, and then doing it. That puts the emphasis in the wrong place. The emphasis has to be on becoming like Jesus, Christ-likeness. To become like Jesus is to display what Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit. To have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These positive qualities are on display. And as we keep in step with the Spirit as Paul says in that same passage in Galatians 5. 
We are positively becoming like Christ. And we will then fulfill the law. As the Spirit works in us, and we manifest that love, joy, and peace and other fruit of the Spirit, we are displaying Christ, becoming more and more like him. It's the Spirit that gives life. The flesh is of no value at all. Okay. That's rules, law, and the gospel. Just a little bit of background on what it means to be a believer, what it means to grow as a believer. Now, second heading, welcome one another as Jesus welcomed you. Now, turning to our passage, we're going to, I'm going to highlight the bookends of this passage. Romans 14, verse 1 and 3, and then Romans 15, verse 7, the beginning and ending of this passage. This is one of the many places in Scripture where there's a chapter division which is not so great. It, chapter division should have been after verse 7. But the book ends here. Verse 1, chapter 14. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Verse 3. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. Why? For God has welcomed him. Okay, so verse 1, welcome this brother or sister, even in, especially if he's weak in the faith. Why? God has welcomed him. And then Paul concludes the passage, verse 7, Therefore, welcome one another as Christ welcomed you for the glory of God. What does this word welcome mean? The ESV is the only prominent English translation that uses that translation of welcome. You look at other translations, you'll see accept one another receive one another. Why does the ESV use the word welcome? Well, there's a a problem with the word welcome because I may welcome you into my home. I may welcome you to church on Sunday morning, and that might just be something really cursory, right? I shake your hand, say hi, come in. We talk for two minutes in my home. I've welcomed you, and then you leave Okay, that's not the idea of welcome here. In that sense, receive may be a bit stronger. Yes, I receive you into my home. I receive you into church and and think of you as then part of the congregation or part of the family. But it's that idea of home that led the ESV translators to use the word welcome. This same Greek word is used in Acts 28. Remember what's happened in Acts 28? Luke has this long description of the shipwreck that Paul is on, and they go onto the island of Malta. There are 276 people on this ship, and by God's grace, all of them safely get to dry land, although rainy land, on Malta, 
And what happens with them? The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and they welcomed us all. It's the same word, because it had begun to rain and was cold. Where did these 276 people stay on Malta? You know, there wasn't a holiday in there, right? There wasn't a Motel 6. They stayed in people's homes. And they didn't stay for one night or five nights. They stayed for months before the Mediterranean was calm enough that they could then take a ship and go on towards Rome. And so they were welcomed into people's homes for a lengthy period of time. Welcomed into the home. This Greek word is also used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament in Psalm 65 with similar connotations. The psalmist writes, Blessed is the one you choose and bring near. That's the word which is in the Greek translation, rendered this same, same verb. Blessed is the one you, God, choose and bring near to do what? To dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house. So here the picture is God welcoming us into his household, into his courts. And again, this is not something temporary, right? This is permanent, Lengthy period of time, forever. And so think of welcome in that sense. We are to welcome one another into our family, the family of God. We are, that's the way that God welcomed us. We're receiving, we are accepting. There are going to be differences. Hey, God is bringing together those from every tribe and tongue and people in nation and century. And so there are huge differences among us. We try to picture that many Sundays by having scripture read in different languages. That just gives us a hint. Yeah, we think differently. We speak differently. We dress differently. We make different moral decisions in part because of our different backgrounds. But we are to welcome, receive, accept one another for the glory of God. And as we do that, we are showing that our God reaches beyond all these things that separate us and unite us. And thus, he is glorified in that. So, accept and welcome one another as Jesus accepted and welcomed you. We could not be more different from Jesus, right? One, he was a first century Jew in Palestine. He had nothing that we have today. He spoke different language. He spoke several different languages probably. Completely different culture than our culture. And then he's God, right? And we're human. We're sinners. He's perfect. He accepts us and welcomes us. That's the way we are to accept and welcome 
differences among us. Okay, next heading then. What is your role? If we are to welcome, how do we do that? What does that look like? What does this passage tell us about our role in living this out? Four aspects of this. Four parts of our role. First aspect is protect the gospel. Protect the gospel. We are to welcome as Christ welcomed you. How did he welcome you? He welcomed you and me by the gospel. So if we are going to accept others in the same way that Christ welcomed us, we're not accepting indiscriminately. We are accepting on the basis of a profession of faith that we believe is genuine. We're going to err in that sometimes. In the life of this church, we've brought people into membership that in subsequent months or years, we decided shouldn't have done that. It seemed like a credible profession of faith, but later events at least cast serious doubt on that. We are to protect the gospel because that's the way that Christ welcomed us. And so we must protect against any Jesus plus false gospel. To add anything to Jesus as the basis of our faith is to add some work to the gospel. And as Paul says in Romans eleven six, if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works, otherwise grace would no longer be grace. Thus, to get specific, we must never imply in any way, let alone state outright, that a Christian is someone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ and supports Donald Trump. We must never state or imply that a Christian is someone who believes in the Lord Jesus Christ and supports Joe Biden or doesn't support Donald Trump, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. All sorts of ways that it's easy for Christians to fall into which add something to the gospel, right? It can be a behavior, don't do this, don't do this. If you do this, you're not a Christian. It can be politics, as I mentioned. It can be any one of a number of things. So protect the gospel. Always make clear in our actions and what we are inferring from them that the gospel is by grace alone, through faith alone. In Jesus Christ alone. Second aspect of our role 
on these disputable issues, be convinced in your own mind. Paul writes, middle of verse 5, Each one should be convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord. To be convinced in your own mind. To have searched the scriptures, to pray about these issues, make a decision. How am I going to live on this issue? In Paul's case, am I going to eat food sacrificed to idols? Am I not going to eat food sacrificed to idols? But in our case, yes, the political decision. Who should I vote for? There is an election here on Tuesday. It doesn't get a lot of press. I encourage you, vote for it. These are important elections, local elections. Sometimes they're more important than the national ones for how we live locally. So, yes, be convinced in your own mind how to vote. Be convinced in your own mind about various moral decisions that you have to make. Be convinced in your own mind what does it mean to be a church and live out these matters. It's important. Search the scriptures, but don't just do it on your own. God puts us in community so that together we might discuss and come to perhaps a consensus, perhaps an agreement to disagree on these issues. And it's important to understand that by saying everyone should be convinced in his own mind, Paul is underlying that these non-gospel issues are not unimportant. They are important. But they are a level of importance below the centrality of the gospel. One temptation within the church is to say, okay, we're only going to speak the guts of the gospel, and we're not going to say anything about anything else. Well, that's to abdicate our responsibility, and that's to ignore a large part of Scripture. Scripture addresses many things in addition to what must we do to be saved. And so we don't want to do that. Paul tells us all Scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. And so be convinced in your own mind, but be convinced of what? Not some general human moral code, okay, what's right and wrong? The, what we are to be convinced of is how to bring glory to God, how to live as Christ in the world. What does it mean to be Christ-like and be a voter in the United States in 2024? It's important. We must discuss them. We must help one another to think them through. So be convinced in your own mind. So first, protect the gospel. Second, be convinced in your own mind. Third, do not pass judgment. Once you are convinced, don't look down your nose at the people who are convinced 
in a different way than you. The church is not the place, should not be the place, where some guru makes a decision and then everyone else falls in line about every possible disputable matter. Okay? In the early years of this church, a man contacted me. He lived somewhere over near Lincolnton, so he was far away, but he saw that we had planted this church. He called me on the phone. He said, oh, there's just no church anywhere near me that I can attend. (laughs) This rang alarm bells within me. He said, I wish you were close enough. I could attend your church plant. And we talked a little bit. I said, well, why are you saying that? Why would you not attend a church, any church near you? He said, well, there's something wrong with every church around me. And then he quoted from Second John, a little obscure verse, but John talks about not that if you greet someone or eat with them, then you're sharing in their evil. Okay, and we won't get into what John is actually talking about there, but it's talking about a gospel issue and making it appear that someone who's not a believer is a believer. That was the issue that John is talking about. So John is talking about the guts of the gospel, and this man was trying to say all these other important but disputable matters would be sufficient for him to say, well, I just can't go there. And so I challenged him. I said, look, it's at least debatable what John means in Second John. But it's not debatable what the author of the book of Hebrews means in 10, 24, and 25. Do not neglect meeting together, as is the habit of some but encourage one another. And you know what? If we'd been close enough for that man to come to Desiring God Community Church, I'm very confident within two years he would have found something that he didn't like about us that would lead him to say, well, I can't be a part of this church. We are to be convinced. It's good to be convinced. But we do that not to pass judgment on others. So Paul says in verse 4, chapter 14, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld. Greek word is the passive of the word stand. He will be standed up. He will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. In our call to worship from John 6, our Lord says, All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. And he goes on to say, I will lose nothing of all that he has given me. Everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him will have eternal life. So, if I'm with a brother or sister who is indeed in Christ Jesus, 
and they disagree with me on one of these disputable matters, and I look down on them, what am I doing? I'm basically saying the gospel's not good enough, right? God has accepted him in Christ Jesus. I'm not going to accept him. If your brother or sister with whom you disagree is in Christ Jesus, he will stand on the last day. And he will stand on the... Last day, by God's grace, by the gospel, the same way you're going to stand. You are not going to stand on the last day because you had the right opinions about who to vote for in 2024. You are not going to stand on that last day because you had the right understanding of divorce and remarriage. You're not going to stand on the last day because you had a right view of the Lord's Supper or baptism. You are going to stand on the last day because of the grace of God in Jesus. And that's the only reason you are going to stand. That other person in Christ will stand on exactly the same basis. He is God's servant, not yours. So for you to go to another believer in church and imply at all, if you do not agree with me on this, well, you really got to question your salvation. Even if there are important issues, like what does God's election of his people mean, like sexual identity issues, like political issues, these are all important issues. But if I do that to another believer, it's as if I'm going into your house, okay? And here you have four children, right? I'm now a long-term guest in your house, and I start disciplining the children. I start correcting the children. I start telling them, no, 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 that's not the way you're supposed to do it. Do it this way. If you're the parent, how do you react to that? They're my children, not your children. If you want to help me with my children, you're going to say what I would say to them. And you're not even going to say that unless I'm out of the room and there's no one else to say it. He's the servant of another, this other belief. He's the child of another. He will stand if he is in Christ Jesus. Others are not under your correction and discipline. And let me underline this. This is true even in cases of church discipline. Okay, this is true for elders as well as for every member of the church. Church discipline is not about these disputable issues. We would never discipline anyone in Desiring God Community Church for something, violation of something in the Statement of Faith Governing Teaching, which is not in the Statement of Faith for Members. 
Discipline needs to be about the gospel. And so when Paul gives an instance of discipline, church discipline in 1 Corinthians 5, what's it about? A man who's a professed believer is sleeping with his father's wife. Okay? That's obvious, right? It's clear. It's it's a case where the church must unite to expel this man for his own good, as Paul says, and for the purity of the church, for the communication of the gospel. That you cannot live this way and profess to be in Christ Jesus. So discipline, even church discipline, is about the gospel. It's not about disputable matters. Your correction or discipline of another believer does not magnify the gospel, does not magnify Jesus. It simply puffs you up. And so we are not to pass judgment on one another. But fourth, what are we to do? We are to build one another up. Paul says this again and again, verse 19. So then, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Verse 17. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. You see the contrast with rules? We are to help one another be like Jesus. We can and should exhort one another. We can and should pray for one another. We can and should discuss with one another about these disputable matters. We can and should say, I made this change in my life. And that was helpful to me in growing in Christ-likeness. Perhaps that would be helpful to you, too. But our goal is not to make people identical to myself, nor to convince others about a disputable point. The goal is to build others up in Christ-likeness. Well, what's the result then? The result, if we are playing our role, if we're magnifying the gospel, the result is with one mind, and one voice glorify God. Romans 15, 5 and 6. NIV, which I think it's interpretive, but I think it's interpretive pointing us in the right direction. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. Same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had. So that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have to have that mindset of Christ if we are to live this out. The goal is to glorify Jesus, to glorify 
the Father. And so, as we think about all these different issues, voting, other political issues, immigration, government spending, as we think about decisions we make in the household, how are we going to school our children, as we think about the sexual identity issues which are so prominent in our country today, as we think about missions and what how should a, a new believer in a 99% Muslim community, should he be public with his faith right away, in three months, in three years? All sorts of disputable issues. The point is, we are to always act in such a way to advance the kingdom of God and to display the gospel. We are never to break down into camps and think, oh, no, those people over there, they think that following God looks like this, and it is, that's just so terrible. How can we do this? Well, let me try to give you some practical language to this effect. Let's just use the political example because that's so much in the forefront of our minds right now. Let's say we have two people who disagree about politics. They're in the church. Well, one possibility is you just never say anything about it. I don't think that's the right way to do it. But you can say, you know, I understand that you are supporting so-and-so. Can you just explain to me how that's consistent with, with what you see as biblical revelation. I want to hear you. I want to understand you. Listen. Maybe that'll change your mind. Speak, then. This is what I see in Scripture. This is why I'm supporting a different candidate. That's good. That's helpful. Nothing wrong with that. Quite the opposite. That's good. That's the way we should be able to talk about it. But if in that conversation you lose your temper, you've already lost. You've already denied the gospel, right? So you have to be able to listen, to speak, and not get angry about it. To understand, okay, this person's coming from a different background, may come with a different conclusion than me. This is not a gospel issue, but maybe you'll come to agreement. But if you lose your temper, you have violated Christ likeness. The gospel is precious, we must live it out. And we must keep the gospel, the gospel of we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. But are all these other matters, important as they are, come to your own conclusion, be convinced, share that with others, discuss it. But never, never separate on the basis of that. Never look down your nose on the basis of that. Why? We are to welcome one another as Jesus welcomes us. Let's pray together.